America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. Time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And, you know, as we end this last month of the second decade of the 21st century, we really can't help ourselves, can we? We have to talk about the third impeachment in 50 years, or the third time the House has attempted Um, to impeach a president in 50 years. Now, that leaves Andrew Johnson out, but it includes Richard Nixon, okay? Just for those of you who are saying, wait, wait, you know, is this, you know, the the fourth or the, you know, in any case. Wait, did Nixon even get impeached? (laughs) I I thought it was the threat of impeachment, and then he just quit. But did they already? They actually had written the articles. But they Uh, didn't vote on it, did uh, they? But he resigned before they could vote on it. Because he so it's really just two. Well, no, he would have been still been there if they weren't, weren't going to pass the impeachment articles. He wouldn't have voluntarily retired. He did. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have uh, said, "Oh, me bad, but I'm staying." Um, or he would have said, mm, "Me bad, but I'm staying." If if Congress, if if the Senate, if Barry Goldwater actually led that delegation, had not gone to the White House and said, you know. We are going to vote in the Senate to convict you if if you don't resign. So it, it really was. And by the way, by the way, the Republican Party stood solidly behind Nixon until that very last moment when the, the 18 minutes of tape were revealed and the lies started coming crashing down. But... Also, Nixon did not obstruct the investigation in the way that the uh, Trump White House has. You know, he did, members of his administration did, beginning with John Dean, go and testify. A couple of them went to jail for lying to Congress, but um, <clears throat> but um, he did not obstruct um, in the way, it, w- quite as grandly, as Trump has in this current investigation. Okay. But I still think, I still think it's a super, super messy subject and that there is merit on both sides. So if, if I were, if I were queen, number one, I'd eliminate all those five minute speeches. What a waste of time. Um, and they're not intended to really do anything except to burnish the credentials of the individual mouth that's moving at that moment in terms of their home district. So, 
you know, I mean, hours of time uh, have and and reams of half truths and complete inaccuracies um, have been um, repeated, oft repeated. Uh, for purposes of political aggrandizement of individual members of Congress, not the body politic. Okay. So again, if I were queen, I'd be saying, nope, no more of those five-minute speeches in front of empty desks or, or, or making poor witnesses sit there for hours while you pontificate instead of trying to exact information from the witness. But I'm not queen, and so we'll go on with that kind of silliness. Um, and so we're going to talk about, you know, let's cover the base, okay? Let's, let's say, number one, um, there is credible new reporting that... Um, the president truly does believe that Ukraine was behind uh, whatever meddling there was in the 2016 election and that he was convinced of this by Putin himself. Now, if, if both of those pieces of reporting are true, that's a pretty serious problem, uh, both in terms of Putin's influence and the fact that it's in, that 17 intelligence agencies for which you and I as taxpayers pay a bunch of money every year have debunked this theory, as did the Mueller report, right down to the street address of where the most of the Russian interference began. And by the conviction of several people um, close who were part of the campaign or the administration um, and have now either pled guilty or been found guilty um, and are either in jail or going to jail. Okay. So at some point, reality needs to sink in. This is not something the Ukrainians did. So number one, yeah, some Ukrainian officials after candidate Trump talked about Crimea being a part of Russia – Okay, acceding to that, that some members of the embassy staff, et cetera, wrote some editorials. Okay, that's true. That the world, you know, the, the international community, the EU, um, the Monetary Bank, um, and the policy of the United States were that a particular Russian-oriented um, uh, corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor needed to be removed um, because his activities were counter to the anti-corruption and uh, investment goals of American foreign policy and European Union foreign policy and the International Monetary Fund policy. Okay, all of that and that and that Joe Biden was the driver of getting that person removed and beginning a concrete anti-corruption activities that were encouraged by our embassy and our State Department, et cetera. All of that is true. That there was a 
that the DNC server was secreted in Ukraine is as Tom Bossert, who was the National Security Council lead on domestic um, uh, security, okay, has said in his on on ABC we have tried we tried repeatedly and and Fiona Hill also said this uh, in her sworn testimony that we have tried repeatedly to disabuse the or disabuse the president of the notion that the DNC server is somehow secreted in the Ukraine. Number one, number one, from a technology point of view, there ain't no such thing as a server. There are blades in cabinets on which data is mirrored repeatedly so that you, as the person coming to the, in this case, Hillary Clinton uh, website or within the Clinton organization need to access your email, et cetera, so that you have many ports through which you can enter and add or read or delete data. And it is through one of those ports that a hacker gets access. So there ain't no such thing as a physical server hidden somewhere in a cave. Can we all just agree on that finally? CrowdStrike. You want to talk to the folks at CrowdStrike, Mr. Trump? Pull your little plane up at Moffett. Moffett Airfield is the closest military airport to CrowdStrike, which is located in Sunnyvale, California. CrowdStrike is a globally recognized leader in intrusion and anti-intrusion security in the software industry. So can we get over that one too? You know, I'm sorry, I'm a businesswoman. I deal with facts. When I go to make a presentation to a client, I want to make sure that my facts are accurate. I'm entitled to use those facts to form an opinion, but I cannot make up my own facts. So those are the facts. If we take all of those facts into account, we should be worried about the influence that Vladimir Vladimir, Vladimir Putin has in Washington, D.C. And that his aims do not represent the best interests of the American people. Even Lindsey Graham will attest to that as he tries to get even tougher sanctions passed against the Russians while to protect American interests um, and EU interests and NATO interests, even while the administration opposes him. Dems the facts. You want to know more about the Ukraine itself? 
check out my podcast last week when we talked about the Ukraine's importance strategically to the national security of the United States of America. All of that brings us to this messy, messy, way too much time-consumed subject of impeachment. Let me, let me express my sympathies to the members of the House Judiciary Committee because those interminable rounds of fact-less, in other words, without fact, five-minute camera rounds, kept all 40 of them from attending the congressional Christmas ball at the White House that was going on that evening. Personally, I don't believe the national energy that was spent to date has been warranted. You know, again, I'm a person who lives in a world of facts. And, And one of the problems that we have in the American body politic right now is that too few people care about the facts. Everybody's got an opinion, and then they go look for facts to, or, or outlandish statements or lies to um, support their um, facts. And so, again, I don't agree with the amount of energy that we've spent on this to date because, in a way, I agree with John, Jonathan Turley, which is we should have gone to court. Congress should have gone to court and tried to enforce the subpoenas that it had issued. They've been remarkably successful in court. They've been 100% successful. In fact, a recently, the Second Circuit ruled that, um, that the Justice Department by Monday has to submit some information, um, uh, to, um, to the court in support of, um, of the uh, executive privilege claim for for um, Don McGahn to prevent him from testifying by this coming by by tomorrow, or he's going to rule against him because of the urgency of the impeachment thing. And this is a Trump-appointed Second Circuit judge. So, so let's talk about what is and what isn't. Like I said, facts matter. Okay? So the fact is, if you read the Constitution, both Article One and Article Two, Article One, Congress has the right to impeach a president. The president does not have a right to impeach Congress or even obstruct Congress. Congress, as a co-equal branch, has a responsibility to check what they view as uh, what a majority of the members view as absurd or extraordinary activity or as the founding fathers. Good God, when I saw the musical Hamilton, I never thought I was going to be sitting there reading Hamilton in the original again more than one time. But I have in this process. I've also read the interesting trilogy called Impeachment, in which Peter Baker um, and John Newsom and a couple of uh, very eminent um, historians have pieced together in a book that's oh, half an inch, um, the story of the three impeachments to date, and, and you might find that interesting reading. It's called Impeachment. You can get it at Amazon. 
So, um, I I think I think one Turley is right that we could have you know Congress could have gone to court, but that would have required that the court act in an expeditious way, which the Justice Department has done everything it can to prevent. And so let's talk about something that Jonah Goldberg said last week, um, last Friday, actually, in a National Review column. Um, he said that that one of the things that he hoped, and I, I completely agree with him, um, that this impeachment would stand as a warning to future presidents not to invite the uh, participation of foreign governments in U.S. elections. And if indeed that purpose was accomplished, then perhaps the amount of time and energy that has been spent on this current um, uh, Trump impeachment over his behavior toward the Ukraine would, um, would be warranted as a warning, not as, you know, an idea that we're going to actually convict him in the, in the Senate. Well, it appears that while we would like to think that you know, having the Mueller report come out and say, you know, <clears throat> there was a lot of really bad acting going on, but not sufficient, not sufficient to bring criminal charges. Um, and as to obstruction of justice, you cannot, you know, can't we can't rule on that because we can't uh, rule on, um, we can't indict a sitting president, okay? That's a matter, by the way, the investigation of a sitting president is now an issue that the Supreme Court actually is going to hear in March and maybe decide by June. And that'll be, you know, that, that will lend some clarity to the process going forward. But let's get back to what Jonah Goldberg said. In, that that. He would, he would feel that a purpose had been accomplished, and I agree with him completely, if, if this impeachment stood as a warning to future presidents to encourage foreign governments to intervene, uh, meddle in, um, become involved in, in any way you want to characterize it, um, domestic elections, domestic U.S. elections. However, at this moment, it appears that the president didn't get that message because Congress tried to insert um, a sentence in the current um, defense authorization bill in the, the current budget deal um, that said that the administration had to distribute the $250 million budgeted for the for Ukraine military aid in 45 days of certification that they've complied with the corruption aspects, et cetera. The president threatened to veto that legislation. He threatened to shut down the U.S. government if it attempted to constrain his ability to determine when and if the Ukraine gets its congressionally approved legally mandated $250 million in military aid while they are trying to negotiate some sort of end to a 
war in the Domas, which has claimed almost 14,000 Ukrainian lives. So unfortunately, I don't think the president got the message that Jonah Goldberg and I would like him to have received. <clears throat> and then there was a piece of reporting in the Washington Post this week in which 15, 15 senior, I, I'm, I'm quoting them, I, I have no idea, but senior administration officials talked about you know, Russian influence on the president and about the Ukrainian situation specifically. But they talked on with a, only with the guarantee of anonymity. You know, I'm sorry. I am sorry. But if you are willing to go to the press, if you are so alarmed that you are willing to go to the press, as with the author Anonymous... The difference between truth and gossip is putting your name on what you say. So if you really believe what you have said to the Washington Post, you have a national civic responsibility to put your name on to that information, which brings me to the last point. If you are going to have a Senate trial of Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, then you're going to have to have witnesses from both sides. That means that we're going to hear from, in other words, I don't think you can have a trial without hearing from John Bolton, Mick Mulvaney, Duffy, and a few other people. And if you want to call Hunter Biden, call Hunter Biden. Let him explain what he did in the Ukraine. In public, cross-examined with the documentary evidence. And then, then the Senate can vote. And then you and I, as the ultimate jurors in this case, will get to vote in November of 2020. Because we are the ultimate jury. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>